we did our best to explain what you do and what your profession really, really is. But obviously, we can't give the exact details. So if you just want to give the listeners a little bit of a summary of what you do. Sure thing. So I am a lawyer. I worked at a big law firm for about five, six years. And then I went on my own about six years ago because I used to be in the world of media law and our clients were journalists, were people who were paid to write articles for the front page of the newspaper, Mm -hmm. uh, paid to produce TV shows, paid to produce radio shows. And then I think with this whole digital revolution, suddenly the clients weren't just people who were in the traditional media, it was people who were in social media who needed legal advice. And I think Mm -hmm. the most important thing was that um, suddenly everybody with an internet connection became a publisher. And now you guys have grown up. Yeah. So for you, it's yeah. not even an unusual thing. But but when I was your age, even when I was in matric, um, if I had wanted to have my opinion published on a public platform, like I could have phoned in on a radio show or I could have written a letter to the editor of a newspaper, but that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't have this voice that you guys have now. And and I think that what happened was that people were incredibly ignorant about the laws that applied to them because suddenly, you know, as soon as you are publishing, even if it's on a WhatsApp group, the laws apply to you. Mm-hmm. So you need to know what those laws are. Um, so you don't have the benefit, like the journalists, when they're studying to be journalists, they do like media law 101. What are we allowed to say? What are we not allowed to say? What is hate speech? Mm-hmm. What's defamation? When can you infringe somebody's yeah. privacy? <laughs> Suddenly we all had this power and we didn't know what the rules were. So most of the work that I do now is educating. I um, I give talks. I've come to speak at Red Hill. Um, where yeah, we were I, chatting about that earlier. Where I tell people that, very vividly. <laughs> awesome. uh, like legal, the laws, the disciplinary consequences, how to look after your reputation. Like if we saw with the Miss South Africa thing last week with Bianca Scumbi, who mm. is suddenly like being dragged through, over the coals because of tweets she posted when she was 14. You know, that's the message mm. that I've been giving to you guys mm. is that you can mess up now and it can have serious consequences down the line. So I do a lot of educational work. Um, I've just taken it all online because, you know, lockdown. Um, yeah. So I've just launched <laughs> last week the Digital Law Academy which is like oh, an yeah. online course that teenagers can do. And I'll send you guys um, some promo codes so you can you can give it a go and let me know what you think. Um, oh, that would be so great. I, yeah, I'd love, mm-hmm. I'd love to have your feedback. It's like basically the talks that I have been given at schools for the last few years. Now we can do it on this online platform and hopefully we can reach more people. Mm. So yeah. I do that. Then I do like crisis management. So if one of you guys messes up or you're being cyber bullied or you suddenly get like somebody slides into your DMs and they're this is what I'm dealing with today is like somebody uh, started DMing my client who's a 13 year old girl, the most hectic death and rape threats. Um, Mm. And it's somebody who knows information about it. So it's somebody who is probably in her class at school. And um, I've been working all day trying to find out who's behind those accounts. And then we decide, are we going to charges or are we just going to get the kid expelled or like, what is it that we're going to do? So uh, putting out fires, sexting, uh, revenge pornography, image-based violence, privacy infringements, hacked accounts, fake accounts, Mm. impersonations, and basically everything where people mess up online or the victims of people being terrible or malicious online, that's where I come in. I'd like to dive into into some of those those things that you mentioned. Um, Over the last few weeks, on Twitter within my age group, we've seen a lot of outrage concerning, uh, you know, um, for example, white people using the N-word and a lot of people have been calling them out. Uh, 
for one person made an apology video that got over 10,000 views and a lot of hate in their comments. So what is the permanence of something like that? Can someone then go out into the public world and pursue their dreams after, after going through something like that? Yeah, you know, it's always difficult because it's, it is a very permanent record. I mean, when I came and spoke to you, I talked about the tattoo effect of the internet. Yeah. What you put online, like you just need one screenshot. So if we take Bianca Scumbi, for example, um, she deleted her whole account pretty quickly when she realized that, you know, she was trending. Um, but it's too late because once the screenshot exists, it's there forever. And that's, that's not awesome, to say that yeah. people should never be able to recover their reputations, but it's difficult. Obviously, the more extreme the infringement, um, yeah. and I think for me, racism has got to be like right up there in the most serious scale, right? Because yeah. it goes to the core of who you are. It's not just like, oh, I messed up once and I was drunk dancing on the table and somebody filmed it and put it online. Like, I should be able to get over that pretty quickly. But for yeah. me to be expressing myself in a way that illustrates like the core of who I am, um, that's a very difficult thing because you've got to basically show that you've changed as a human. And how do you do that, right? Like, uh, is it, it's not going to be like a quick apology tweet. That's not going to do it. What is it that mm. you can do to undo the harm done? And, you know, I, I talk about the laws, the disciplinary consequences. Um, but for me, the most serious by far is the harm to reputation because, you know, you get expelled from school, you go to a new school. In the old days, you could start with a new slate, you know, because we didn't have this online world. So people didn't know what happened at the previous school. But now that online reputation follows you. And I've talked for years about the billboard test, which sounds so boring, but it's such a good test because if you wouldn't put something on a billboard, you don't let it exist in digital format. And actually, yeah. the online world is worse than if you put it on a billboard because it's so permanent. Like even if that billboard is next to the M1, M1 highway for five years, after those five years, which is a hell of a long time, it's still going to be taken down. But yeah. mm. the internet doesn't forget. Uh, you know, somebody like Adam Katsavolis or Penny Sparrow or any of these people who've been um, found guilty of criminal offenses, been fired from their jobs, Google them in five years' time and tell me what you're going to find. You know, we're yeah. still yeah. going to find all this stuff. So in, yeah. in, in Europe, um, they have made a little bit of progress with what they call the right to forget. The, the legal right to forget. And it's a big case that was brought against Google. And it basically said that after a certain number of years, like a, a prolonged period of time, you can apply to Google to have historical, excuse me, I need to sneeze. No corona here, just hay fever. Um, <laughs> and, and you can apply to Google to have those historical search results removed from the Google cache. Oh, wow. Um, so if I was found guilty of shoplifting 10 years ago and then you Google me and that's still the first thing that comes up, it means I can't get a job, I can't do anything, I need to sneeze again. I'm sorry. No problem. <laughs> it's okay. Okay, I'm back in the game. Then you can apply to have them removed. Now, there's a few problems with that because firstly, when you Google, if you Google Emma Sadler and I've applied to have results removed, there's going to be a little thing at the bottom that says, certain results have been omitted as a result of a request under the Google right to forget. And then you just change the suffix from .co.uk to .com and you'll get all those omitted results. So it's not that oh. useful, but usually Europe, when it comes to internet laws, is ahead of the game. So it might be something that we see uh, down the line in South Africa that people will be able to apply to have their historical content removed 
in um, California, they've got something called the Cyber Eraser Law, which will allow, which allows teenagers to apply to web companies to have content that they've uploaded, obscene, embarrassing content, permanently removed, not just from the front end, but from the back end as well. You know, I think we're dealing with a difference here between this is something hardcore illegal, like racism, and this is maybe something that's embarrassing, like a TikTok video, like cringe video, (laughs) like you know, and or um, and you've lost your access to your account and you can't remove it. You know, it's, it, I think those are the two um, the two differences. So yeah. I think that um, I think that reputation is what we should be thinking about. You know, it doesn't matter if you're first in your class. If when I Google you, the first thing that comes up is that you take drugs and behave badly, or you know what I mean. Yeah. It's it's it's, yeah. it's really starting to think of ourselves as the celebrities that we've become, and that's yeah. partly our real world CV, like how well I did at school and university, this is why you should hire me, but also this is who I am as a human. Like this is what's going to come up when you Google me. If you go deep into my Instagram, Twitter, TikTok history, like you're not going to find anything that makes me look like a bad human. Absolutely. Okay. Um, So obviously during lockdown, everyone's kind of gained a lot more access to social media and people have become more active on social media. And I mean, there's been so much fake news circulating, but how do we now shift our privacy? Because like right now, for example, I'm on a Zoom meeting with you guys. You guys have access to my camera, to my audio. And I think um, I actually, I have to admit, David and I did a bit bit of stalking um, of you because obviously (laughs) when we come into this, we have to be a little prepared. And there's this new term Zoom bombing on um, obviously these platforms. How do I now protect myself from a world where you can see me in my home, you know, you have full access to my camera. How, like, what is our privacy now? Yeah, Ali, so do you want to give that... a little bit of context as to what Zoom bombing is? Sorry. Well, oh, I'm sorry. What Zoom bombing is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Zoom bombing is where somebody takes over your Zoom meeting and just, like, drops some crazy stuff on it. So it can be horrific abuse images or porn or – and one minute you're having, like, a geography lesson – and then the next minute, there's just crazy stuff on your screen. And, it, you know, it's happened at such a high level. It even happened in Parliament. Um, so mm. Parliament mm. was convening over Zoom. And suddenly there was this crazy porn and uh, woman abuse images and, like, really terrible stuff. Um, so Zoom's taken a lot of heat about its security and um, and hacking and, you know, whether or not it's a, it's a good platform. For me, I still think it's a great platform. I think all of these platforms come with risks. Um, and I think that they've worked hard. Uh, they could never have foreseen that they would be uh, the the necessary, uh, you know, I want to say necessary evil, but that's not quite right because I, I think they're actually <laughs> pretty good. Um, but they've had to really work hard to get up to date with, like, providing everyone a secure platform. Um, they didn't think yeah. that they'd be the only way that people would be having lessons uh, in December. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so with Zoom bombing, um, you know, and, and privacy, you know, maybe we just take a step back with privacy. And the, the, the truth is that privacy is a very fluid idea. Like, uh, what's private to me is different to what's private to you. What's private to mm. me today is what's private to me five years ago. So in law, we talk about whether or not you have a reasonable expectation of privacy. Um, so if I'm standing up on a stage and somebody takes a picture of me, do I have an expectation of privacy in that moment or are they infringing my privacy by taking that picture? Mm. I don't have an expectation of privacy when I'm on stage speaking to thousands of people. But what I'm doing in my bedroom 
and somebody comes in and takes a picture of me naked in my bedroom, they're infringing my privacy, right? Yeah. Now, with this mm. the world, we'd actually welcome the world into our houses. And I normally, um, when I'm on any kind of Zoom meeting, I don't even operate from this as my office. I go into a room where I've just got a blank white wall because I don't want mm. people to know. I don't even want them to know what books I've got on my bookshelf because I'm a bit yeah. hectic about privacy because it's my job. I'm also mm-hmm. careful about pictures that I share on social media. Um, I'm careful about having private accounts. So if, for example, um, I, you know, okay, so, so say, do I have an expectation of privacy over an Instagram account, which is public? No, I don't, no. to be honest. Like, do I have an expectation of privacy over an Instagram account where I have privacy settings and I'm very careful about who I let follow me. Say I've got a hundred followers. Yeah. And then the magazine comes and publishes my photo from Instagram. I can yeah. sue them mm. for infringing my privacy. Yeah. But if I'd had an open account, I I couldn't do that. So so the rule yeah. is the more you look after your privacy, the more of it you have. Now that changes Absolutely. with who you are and the world you live in. So if you are suddenly this massive celebrity, then your right to privacy has got lower. It's decreased, right? Because you've yeah, become yeah. so famous. Mm. And, you know, where we live our lives online, I think there has to come with it an inherent decrease in the right to privacy. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It's just endlessly yeah. a discussion about, do I have an expectation of privacy in those circumstances? And I'm sure a lot of you guys will be interested to know about when can my privacy be, be infringed? Like when can yeah. the principal of my school take my phone and read my WhatsApps? Well, there yeah. are two mm-hmm. instances when your privacy can be infringed. The first is if it's uh, if there's consent. So I say, and it's the same as if I turn on my webcam, right? I'm consenting. Um, that doesn't mean that I would allow you guys to broadcast me for the world to see. Like the ones that can see me now, I look like a crime scene, right? I would not normally. <laughs> if this was going, I mean, and I presume that we're just broadcasting an audio, but it's nice to see your faces. Yeah. If I was really going to be passing on the internet, like I'd brush my hair, I'd put some makeup on, you know, like. It's yeah, a, yeah. So, but by turning on my webcam, I'm consenting to at least the, the, the few of you guys to, to see my face. Um, and I can say, here's my uh, cell phone. I give you permission to look at the pictures. Um, the other time is when we say there's public interest. So, for example, I don't know if you've seen the government has now got this contact tracing. So they can use the location on our cell phones uh, yeah. in order to trace, in order to trace uh, if, if there's been a potential exposure. Now, um, that makes people feel very anxious. Like, I don't want Big Brother watching me, right? Um, So so the question is, does the public interest, the government's intention to stem the spread of coronavirus, defeat my right to privacy at that time? It's always a balancing act. Um, If somebody wants to publish a naked picture of me, are they infringing my privacy? Well, if it shows me doing something illegal, then they're allowed to do it because there's public interest. It's quite complicated, yeah. but basically, yeah, as soon as you do something illegal, your right to privacy falls out the window. But what happens? Oh, wow. okay, what happens if two people are in a relationship? One of one of the people in that relationship sends a nude photograph to the other, and the receiver mm-hmm. then shares it to a group chat. You know, and then it spreads further and further. So, who in that situation is liable, and what are the repercussions for that? Well, it's tricky and it's unfair because the way the law is created at the moment is that if you're under the age of eighteen and you take a picture of yourself naked or a sexy picture doesn't even require nudity, then you can be arrested and charged with uh, creation of child pornography, which is absurd because there should be consensual sexting between teenagers allowed. You know, you can have sex when you're yeah. a teenager, but you can't take a picture of yourself naked. It doesn't make sense. But <laughs> the law just needs to catch up. 
So for me, I'd much rather give practical advice, which is like how to make sure you're not a victim, because even if the law should be on your side, and I'll tell you what the laws are in a moment, the problem is that once it's out there, it's out there. So prevention is better than cure. Don't take the picture. If you can't resist the temptation of taking the picture, make sure you can't be identified. So make sure your face isn't in the picture. Um, it, any like distinctive bedroom in the background or uh, birthmarks or piercings or tattoos, like make sure you can't be identified. Also yeah. have a discussion with the person you're sending it to, saying like, I'm sending this to you and that doesn't mean you can send it to your WhatsApp group, right? So yeah. although that should be pretty obvious. It also means don't send nudes to people that you meet online, even if you've been speaking to them all day, every day for months, because these people have patience. If you don't know that person and trust that person in the real world, um, even if you've been speaking to them all day, every day for a year, you don't send nudes to that person because they're almost certainly dodgy, right? In terms of your illustration of if I send that WhatsApp, that picture to somebody and they share it on their WhatsApp groups, um, there's a new law in South Africa. It's the amendment um, to the Films and Publications Act. And it basically says that if you distribute <clears throat> any private or sexual photos or videos without the prior permission, the prior consent of the person depicted uh, in that photo, then you're guilty of a criminal offense. It's a okay. four-year uh, no, uh, yeah, four imprisonment and 300,000 rand fine. Well, yeah. both of them. So that's I think one of the other. Sorry, uh, and or. So it could be both, okay. it could be one yeah. or the other. But still, that's a crazy Shut. sentence, right? Um, yeah. And we call this image-based violence. Some people call it revenge pornography. You know, to be frank, it's not in law yet. It's been passed, but we're waiting for some regulations to make it fully effective. In the meantime, what I would do if that happened to a client of mine, I would go and lay criminonuria charges against that person, even if it's a teenager. As you guys know, you can commit crimes as teenagers. Full criminal capacity <laughs> at the age of 14. And I would get that mofo arrested, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And charged with criminal urea, which is when somebody infringes your dignity. I'd also probably get a protection order against that person under the Protection from Harassment Act. There may be mm -hmm. defamation or privacy damages. I, I would sue them for a lot of money, basically. Um, that said, even with yeah. all the law and all the success and you still don't want that picture landing up on a porn site, right? So prevention mm. is yeah. better than killing. And, yeah. and, you know, to be honest with you, I would love to live in a world where we could all sex safely, but yeah. we can't because it's just like digital content is dangerous content. Once it's out there, it's out there. It's too risky. Once yeah. it's out there, it's out there. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. So, Emma, we are going to go to news now, but it would be really lovely because we have a few people sending in some questions. If you could hang on for a couple of minutes and maybe we could get some callers on, if that's okay with you. Sure thing. Red Radio News. For the students, by the students. That question about, do, can I, can I like not share my face in a class or am I, do I have that right to say no? Mm, for me, I would say that it's a requirement of teaching. That I David and Ali on the run. Red Radio. You know, narcissistic and worried about the fact that they don't look so cute. Um, but I really think that if a teacher is saying to you, uh, "Turn your video on. I want to be able to see your face," unless there's a real reason that you sh that you can't, um, or that you've got a heightened expectation of privacy at that moment, um, then I would say it's a it's a kind of lawful instruction, and that you you should comply. You know, because from yeah. a teaching okay. point of view. 
whole point about teaching is that it's such a better thing if I can see your face. Like, if I can mm. see your face, I know that you're there. And I do a lot of webinars now. And it's so disconcerting because I have to speak and pretend that there are like hundreds of people inside my computer. But the way that I yeah. do it on Zoom, um, the webinar platform, is that I can't see anybody's faces. So I have to just talk to this computer and imagine. And I know that if I could see the people, my presentation would be so much better. So yeah. I think you actually should yeah. yourself cutting off your nose to spite your face if you're saying I won't turn on my <laughs> – yeah. yeah. I don't think there's okay. a legitimate privacy yeah. interest. Um, in that instance, because like you know what each other look like, because you normally go to school together. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's, true. that's actually a very interesting question. A question has come in from unknown that says, "I am being cyberbullied badly." In brackets, threats to ruin my reputation. What can I do? Yeah. So I think the first thing is to tell a trusted adult, and I know it sounds like such a thing you'd say to primary school kids, like yeah. tell someone you trust. But the truth is, when you're in that cyberbullying engagement. It's so all-consuming, you can't think clearly. You can't think about what options mm. are, uh, how do you stop it. Like, it's such a victim mentality. You, it's, it's an yeah. awful place to be in. So I would say the first thing is to tell somebody, uh, you know, uh, even a friend you trust. But ideal would be somebody who is wiser and smarter. So somebody who's going to give you good advice. And, mm. you know, you guys are always welcome to get in touch with us. We help a lot of people who are victims. And, you know, if something is really mm. threatening you, we need to put a stop to that. And you can get a protection order under the Protection from Harassment Act if you show that somebody is bullying you or threatened to bully you, either in the real world or online. If it's causing you harm, like mental, emotional, psychological harm, then you can go and get a protection order. Before I would go off to court and get that order, even though I'm entitled to, I'd probably send a letter saying like, this is my plan, unless I get an undertaking from you that it is going to stop. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So mm. Ali's going to ask the next question. Yeah. So I think this has probably got so many answers to it, but David and I often have very serious conversations on this show about rape culture, we've had very important uh, conversations on equality and sexism. And something that's come up more and more, especially during the lockdown, is cancel culture. And there's been a lot of instances where people have taken to Twitter or Instagram or social media as a whole, and they've shared their their experiences or their opinions. And often it's been pinpointed to attack a specific person of sort. And we just want to know what your opinion is and maybe even the legal perspective on cancel culture. How do you handle a cancel culture situation? Yeah. So I think that, you know, the cancel culture world is, is, in, in old legal parlance would be referred to as vigilantism. You know, it's the public taking something into their own hands. And yeah. I think that there is a place in society for digital vigilantism. I think it's like how we self-regulate the internet. We say, you're not cool, that's it. But what, what I worry about is where we jump on the cancel bandwagon without knowing all the facts. Mm -hmm. Definitely. But how, you know, how do we find all the facts? Well, like, it's, it's a bit Historically, what you would do if you were a journalist and you were going to do this expose about why somebody should be cancelled, you'd give them the right to reply. Yeah, the right to reply. So we've yeah. got about you. What do you say? Now, that's not always yeah. practical because. Mm. In the online world, like, and I think there is this sentiment of it's sometimes better to be first than to be right. And I think we've got to yeah. take a step back yeah. and make sure that we are right before we ruin somebody's life, because that's effectively what can happen with digital culture, right? I, I think um, the other so thing, I mean, from what I've observed, 
sorry, from what I've observed is that cancel culture also happens very quickly. It's a fast paced thing. One minute, mm -hmm. everyone's your best friend. And the next second, everyone's hating you. They're sending you death threats. You know, you're getting all these messages. And like five minutes ago, no one had a problem with you. And so like, how do, yeah. you, how do you check those facts? And how do you have those conversations? If in a matter of minutes, you could be completely canceled. Yeah. Can I add an example of that, Ali? Um, so on Twitter about two weeks ago, there was someone who, uh, I mentioned this earlier, but I don't think I mentioned it to you. There was someone who called out their rapist on Twitter. And um, now the, the kind of notion has, has shifted towards we believe the victim until otherwise proved that the, that the alleged is innocent. And so, um, you know, this, this alleged person was, you know, sought after Instagram. Everyone came from him and his phone number was released on, on Twitter. Sorry, not on Instagram. And people, I assume, started to message him. And it was a whole big thing. And so now a screenshot came out. I, I, I can't confirm whether it was true or not. Of the, the person who, who called out their rapist saying that, um, you know, they had gotten a message from a lawyer saying, if you don't respond in 24 hours, we're going to have to press charges for defamation of character. Because uh, they apparently had proof that it was consensual because of WhatsApp chats and things like that. So it's really, really complicated because, okay, personally, I don't believe in cancel culture because I do think that it's us playing God or it's us playing the law. Um, but then again, it's so difficult to try and, you know, I, I, I can't go to court every time someone is raped. You know, I can't open a case, you know, it, it, it just happens too frequent. And so what we've done now is we want to take that role of the law onto ourselves. And it just, it just seems like a much easier solution. I just, yeah, it's, it's just so You guys are smart here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> you really are. Like, this is awesome. So, so, you know, there's a legal answer and there's a practical answer. I totally agree with yeah. you, David. Like, we're living in this world of hashtag am I next, hashtag me too, where we do have a guilty until proven innocent mantra, unlike in the old days where everybody was supposedly innocent until they were proven guilty. So, for example, yeah. in South Africa, you can't, it's a, it's a legislated thing, like there's a piece of statute, like a piece of law somewhere that says if somebody's charged with a sexual offense or rape, you cannot name them until they've actually appeared in court. Because the risk there is you name them in the newspaper as a rapist, and then that person, although they look at the docket and there's no proof, and, and then that person's labeled a rapist for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So there's no mm. question that if you are named and shamed, you have a case for defamation. You can sue whoever started it or anybody who shares it. Because remember, with that chain of publication thing, it doesn't matter even if you're like the hundredth person to share it. I can go after any one of you. So with defamation, yeah. I, can, I can sue whoever's responsible for publishing it. And I would just have to show that it refers to me, that it hurts my reputation, and it was published to one other person. And then it falls on the person who said this stuff, who named and shamed, who got jumped on the cancel culture bandwagon, who were the digital vigilantes, to prove that what they're saying is true. Mm. They've got to show what they're saying is true right? and for the benefit of the public. Now, if there is no court case and there is no court finding, it's very difficult for them to prove that it's true. Not impossible, but it's difficult. Like, obviously, a, a criminal prosecution for rape is the best evidence. Then I can call any them a rapist is from the treetops. Like, it doesn't matter. I can stop at nothing. Yeah. But I would have to show, and the duty is on me, the person who published this thing, to say that what I'm, to show that what I'm saying is true and for the benefit of the public. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it, there was another element of the of what you were asking about, David, and that was doxing. 
uh, when you share personal information, like I share this person's cell phone number, I share this person's physical address, for me, that doesn't have a place in society. Like even in the most extreme mm. cases, um, I don't believe in doxing. I do believe, though, that digital vigilantism has its place because we have such abominable prosecution, like our law enforcement in South Africa, and I'm fighting with law enforcement big time in the last couple of weeks, um, is so inadequate. And we've already talked so much about how victims have such a tough time, firstly, to go and lay a charge. Like you basically say you have to lay a charge. Not every victim wants to lay, put themselves through the trauma of a court process, like a second victimization. And even then, I think our prosecution rate, and I'm not totally up to date on the figures, is something like 7% or something for sexual yeah. offences. So you put yourself That's through true. all of that and still nothing happens. So actually, yeah, I'd much rather yeah. name, and name the guy or, or girl. <laughs> And, and like ruin their reputations because at least something gets done. But if I'm going to jump on that yeah. bandwagon, I need to be so damn sure that I can prove that what I'm saying is true. And in these yeah. sexual encounters, non-consensual or rape cases or sexual offenses cases, it's often a he said, she said, like my word against yeah. yours. And that's where the difficulty comes in because it's so difficult to prove. Yeah. I think that's where the yeah. law fails. If the law says that in order, uh, you have to give enthusiastic consent during sex, right? Um, uh, in order for sex to be initiated. But if I'm talking to someone online and, you know, we've hit it off and, you know, we're planning, okay, uh, tomorrow night at the party, we're going to sneak over to the bathroom and, you know, we're going to, we're going to do it. Right. And it's now it's the night of the party and I'm kind of, I'm not feeling it. And so I say no in the moment, but they've already got these screenshots that, that I gave consent, but in the moment I did not give enthusiastic consent. So in my, in my view, the law is allowing that person to rape me and I don't have any grounds to stand on. So where else do I go other than the internet? You know, I just, I, I don't think the law protects victims. It doesn't. Of course it doesn't. But again, we've had cases in South Africa and I know that it's in the minority and I get called out so badly. Oh my God. When I say to anybody, you know, <coughs> that it's not always the best thing, this digital vigilantism, um, then I get called a woman hater and I protect rapists. And I, But the truth is we have had cases in South Africa where people have been labeled a racist by some malicious person with an ulterior motive. And that's it. They're, you know, I'm thinking of the two, I think it was Tumi Sol, who somebody posted about how he raped them and had given them HIV and everybody was, you know, retweeting and retweeting it. And then she backtracked totally and published an apology and it just said it was complete rubbish and she'd made up the whole story. And, you know, and I do appreciate that that's the small minority, but we're dealing with, you know, we talked already about how reputation is everything in the digital age. If somebody yeah. just goes on a rant tonight and says that David is a rapist and you come to me and you say they've done this and I don't even know who this person is or I've never even kissed this person. I'm like, I don't even, you know what I mean? I am going to act for you if I believe your story, but I'm going to be damn sure that I do believe your story first. The other thing that I do think with this call out culture, the cancel culture, I think where there's many, and it sounds terrible to say that where there's many victims, that's the only time, but that is one time that I really feel very confident that people can go naming and shaming regardless of whether or not their criminal cases in the background. Because if you've got like three or five or 10 women saying the same thing, then yeah. it's very likely that that is a real bad human. Yeah. Like the Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, yeah. So is, is Twitter a healthy platform? Should we be on Twitter? Because I think a lot of the cancel culture, like roots from Twitter, from what we've seen as teenagers. Does it do no, more good than, I guess, is what I Yeah, 
do, do, do the benefits of social media outweigh the cons? That's, I mean, how do we know? Do they? Yes, I think so. But you know, that's a personal decision and nobody else can make that decision yeah. for you. I love social media. I always say the best thing about social media is that it gives everyone a voice. The worst thing about social media mm. is that it gives everyone a voice. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, such a it's such a double-edged sword. And, you know, I think we, for each person listening to this individually, you've got to take a moment and think to yourself, like me being on this platform, let's say Instagram, does it make me happier? Does it make me sadder? Does it make me more anxious? You know, does it add to my life? Because there's no rule. There's no rule that says every 14-year-old in South Africa must be on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok yeah. or Snapchat. Yeah. Like, if it adds value to your life, then use it. If it doesn't, don't use it. You know, because I feel so much of this, like, pressure that – and, you know – they just done a super yeah. interesting study in the UK, and it's the biggest study so far on um, addiction and mental health and social media with teenagers. So they got this group of 15-year-olds, but like thousands of them, and they uh -huh. found that everybody has a tipping point, after which oh, yeah. time your experience on social media makes you unhappier rather than happier. Right. So each yeah. of us has to make a moment and work out what's that time. Like I know my first 10 minutes on Facebook in the morning. Love. After that, I'm just like, people are traumatizing me. Like, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I staring at these people? Like, you, you, you're not my people. And, and so what they said is that an hour and 57 minutes is the total time that the average teenager, during that first hour and 57 minutes of looking at a screen, it can make you happier. It can make your life better. For every minute after that one hour, 57 minutes, you're a sadder, more anxious like Shucks. worse off human being. Isn't that interesting? Sure. So I think for everybody, just take a moment. First, ask yourself, do I want to be on this platform? Does it make my life better or worse? Then if I am on this platform, if I know that this platform makes my life better, because that's the first tick, then the second step is how long do I want to spend each day? And we don't have any control, so we must set time limits because we don't have control. Like once we, it like, yeah. like two years deep into somebody's Insta, like there's no saving us, right? So <laughs> you've got to have somebody who like pops up on your screen and says like, okay, go and make yourself a cup of tea and like get a life. Um, because it's, it, 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 once, we, once we're in it, we're in it. So Absolutely. I'm quite a big fan of this idea of the tipping point. Um, I love Twitter. I know that the more time I spend on Twitter, the sadder I get. So I go onto Twitter. I have a quick look. Sometimes I don't even keep up with my mentions. I tweet because it's incredibly important for my business. Um, you know, I've built my you business. Keep up with your so, mentions. There you, Emma. That's the same. <laughs> Yeah, like it depends. So when I wrote um, the statement in response to the hashtag Am I Next campaign, and I was getting all this yeah. hate about how I was a woman hater and how I defended rapists. Like I don't have time yeah. to read those mentions because they, yeah. they're like not my people, right? I don't actually care what those people think. I know that I'm a good person and I, I do good work. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, when I went on my own, when I was working in a big law firm and I resigned and I told them I was going on my own and they were like, we're so worried about you. How are you going to make money? How are you going to make get clients? You know, like, and I just said in my sweetest voice, you know, if it doesn't work, I'd be grateful if you take me back. And I've never <laughs> had to make them. Because I've been busy every single day for six years. I've never spent one yeah. cent. Which is so amazing. I've never spent yeah. one cent marketing. I've styled myself as the expert on social media law on the continent. And that's solely through social media, right? Like, yeah. So it's such an wow. amazing platform. Like, we don't want to hate on the platforms. Uh, we want to hate on some of the users. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so our producer, Thomas Healy, is getting very angry at us because we are actually 34 <laughs> minutes behind schedule. 
but we could <laughs> not this this interview because it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, thank you it so was much. So important. You guys yeah, are legends. Thank Thanks for making me think in a different way tonight. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And just once again, what's so the much. name of your yes? We need to have you back. But once again, what's the name of your new platform where we can join your webinars? Just so everyone can remember. Okay. So it's called the Digital Law Academy. And it's a course that I think all tweens and teens should do. Um, and if you've got any feedback for me, I'd be very grateful. This, this is David and Addy on the run on Red Radio.